Not That German is a fun, insightful movie discussion podcast that may not be suitable for all listeners. Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Meine Damen und Herren and everyone else, welcome to a Not That German, Not That Minisode with me, Al J. Nound. Adam Bento is out for the day, and when the German native speaker can't be here, but the neurodivergent American can be, what better way to use the resources available to us than to skip all the talk of old Hollywood and move straight on to discussing German words, phrases, and wasnischt? That last one's probably not right. Our regular programming will return soon. But for now, let's get German, y'all. Es geht um die Wurst. Literally translated, this saying means it's about the sausage. That's right, folks. We're back with more sausage. More Frankfurter, more Andouille, more Knockwurst, more Toad in the Hole. It's all about the sausage. And I don't mean that in a Freudian way, because that's Austrian, and that's not that German. Nope, here I'm talking idioms. And this idiom, it's about the sausage, roughly translates to it's do or die, it's now or never, it's the moment of truth. It's not about the cones, Pawnee. It's about the sausage. I'll be honest, I... Don't think I've heard this expression used in common parlance before. And I don't know why. Maybe it's old-fashioned. Maybe it's regional. Maybe I just haven't had a normal conversation with anyone the past two years. Or maybe it's because I've never felt that do-or-die, now-or-never urgency with anyone about anything. And maybe that's the problem. I've always been a big guy. I was always tall for my age, but also I was a chubby kid growing up. Even as I grew older, I was a little oddly proportioned. Any mass I collected always happened not just in my gut, but around my waist, making every picture of me look badly photoshopped or like I was smuggling an inner tube under my shirt. There was a very brief window where I lost a lot of weight and got the fittest I've ever been to impress a lady, which don't do that. Don't suffer for the hope of someone else's affection, that's probably not going to be healthy one way or the other. But after we broke up, I gained it all back and then some. I fluctuated for a bit, but without that impetus, that drive, I had no willpower, and I slowly but steadily got heavier and heavier. It was a pretty slow increase until the empathy crisis that we call COVID, where I spent every day lying in bed, getting up only to get food or use the bathroom. And then I really started packing on the pandemic pounds. Oh, right, I have to use metric for the international audience. Not pandemic pounds, depression kilos. I'm now the heaviest I've ever been by a long shot. 
I'm so heavy, when I went to buy a bike, the salesman looked me up and down and said, You know there's a weight limit, right? True story. Superficially, I'm coming to grips with how I look. I wouldn't mind being a little thinner, but I'm not body shaming myself or making myself feel bad because I'm a very big boy now. My worth is not correlated to my weight, and I'm not looking for a partner who'll only date me if I lose 120 pounds and tighten up a bit. But I still want to change. I want to bike more, eat better, slim down a bit. Not for anyone else, but because I drink a lot of caffeine and I'm constantly very stressed, and those are the only actions inflicted upon my beating heart. Some time ago, I went to catch a tram, and I had that moment of self-doubt where I wasn't 100% certain if I'd closed the door to my flat. I always do, and this has never been a problem, but it was still eating away at me. So with three minutes till the tram came, I sprinted back home, saw it was closed and locked, because of course it was, then sprinted back, not very far, and caught the tram. And my heart didn't stop pounding hard the whole way. I couldn't stop breathing hard the whole way. Objectively, it was a slow sprint and a short distance, and my body couldn't take it. I look how I look, and I can live with that. But I'm too out of shape to catch public transport, let alone join the Ukrainian International Legion. I have a long way to go before I get fit. Not thin, not svelte, not swole, but fit. And it's going to take a lot longer and be a lot harder, because I've got a lot farther to go. It's now or never. It's do or die. Because if I keep at it, if I don't simply take more walks or use the bike I bought or at least do some in-house cardio while I binge-watch Seinfeld, things will get very, very bad for me very, very fast. There are a lot of Americans who can't budget for a doctor's appointment. I'm not talking about people who can't afford niche cosmetic surgery. I'm talking about people who don't have enough money to go see a doctor about a basic problem. That's the price to pay for Freedom and Stinger Missiles and Lauren Boebert's salary. But because people can't get something checked out when it's small, a cough or a lump or a pain or whatever, they never have the chance to nip it in the bud, deal with this medical problem while it's small and potentially manageable. They can only afford to live with it, suffer through it, hope it goes away on its own. Sometimes it might disappear. Sometimes it really is just an annoying cough or nothing to worry about, or eat an orange, you'll be fine. But that kind of unrepentant optimism doesn't work when it's something that won't go away on its own, that without treatment won't disappear into the ether and will only get worse to the point that you have no choice but to treat it if you have that choice at all. It really is now or never. It really is do or die. And if you couldn't afford the doctor's visit six months ago, you probably can't afford treatment for what it's become and things will get very, very bad, very, very fast. I remember several years ago, when a real scum-of-the-earth shitty human being was out promoting hate speech and showing psychopathic disregard for people who didn't look or sound like him. He got punched on live TV. Many people in the U.S. derided that punch, saying that shouldn't have happened. Violence only begets more violence. Is it okay to punch Nazis? And while many people tried to do the apparently decent thing and not stifle debate, not stifle free speech, trust in the common sense of the electorate, 
Extremist right-wing forces bombarded us with disinformation and clever manipulation tactics to radicalize an already pretty conservative political party and lionize a selfish, incompetent, wannabe authoritarian. Rational debate is gone in America, replaced by distrust in any source of information that doesn't align perfectly with your political beliefs. Heckling State of the Union speeches, which were already pretty weird, but at least before had some semblance of civility and white nationalist paramilitary groups strong-arming their way into distant school board meetings to make sure no mention of white Christian Americans being bad will ever be brought up to school children. For Christ's sake, they tried an insurrection to hang their own vice president and overthrow our attempt at democracy. This wouldn't happen if we'd punched more Nazis 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago. The Blues Brothers did more against Illinois Nazis than we've ever done. But we didn't do anything then. And now it's an even bigger problem. The stakes are equally high, but the outcome is far less certain. And it's now or never, do or die. There's no more passing the buck as they keep moving the goalposts. This sounds to some like I'm inciting violence. Am I inciting violence? Am I shouting fire in a crowded theater? Am I abusing my right to free speech and risking harm? Legally, I don't think so. And that's not my intent, and that's not my point. I'm not trying to shout fire in a crowded theater. I'm not trying to incite violence. Do you know where that comes from, by the way? Shouting fire in a crowded theater? It's a great example of the limits to the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And this is for Americans, not the First Amendment for Canadians about the annexation of Manitoba, or whatever that was about. In the U.S., your theoretically, allowed freedom of speech, but you're not allowed to say things which would cause a panic or a stampede or something. You can say a theater's ugly, you can say the show was bad, but you can't shout fire in a crowded theater if there's no fire because that could cause panic which could lead to injury or death. It sounds great, it sounds reasonable, and on the surface it makes sense. The problem is, this argument was used to clamp down on the free speech of anti-war anarchists and socialists, providing judicial legitimacy for the breakup and imprisonment of leftist rallies and meetings, quite similar, in fact, to how the Nixon White House associated weed with hippies and heroin with African Americans, all to provide an impetus for disrupting anti-war demonstrations in the 60s and 70s. His White House counsel, John Ehrlichman, openly admitted as much. Look it up. This crowded theater argument, this riot defense, isn't used on nighttime torchlit marches of white men chanting, Jews will not replace us. It's used to silence people saying, hey, stop killing black people. While we were silencing ourselves, while we were questioning, is it okay to punch a Nazi? Police attacked anti-Nazi, anti-right-wing extremist protests, and in our moral struggle for equality, we lost sight of the paradox of freedom providing free speech to those who would silence us, while already being silenced by those with the legal impunity to do so. We could have shut down Trumpists in 2015. We could have shown that you don't get to walk around with Nazi paraphernalia and spout dog-whistle race-baiting populist bullshit. We could have made it nothing more than an awkward, embarrassing attempt at ultra-conservative lunacy. But we missed our chance, and we're running out of chances to pass the buck. And things aren't great now. I mean, hell, why do you think I left the U.S.? 
But because we didn't deal with this problem earlier, things are going to get very, very bad, very, very fast. Of course, I don't want to make this all about America and my gut. America's not the whole world, and I don't want to come off as body shaming because that's not my intent. I'm up for climate shaming, though. There are lots of complaints out there about radical laws regarding COVID and the environment. Why do we need 3G rules in Germany? Why are some places still in lockdown? Why do we need booster shots and mask mandates and work-from-home initiatives? Because you didn't take COVID seriously at the start, you dumb fuck. You thought it wouldn't be a problem, or at least not a big enough problem, to be worth the inconvenience of wearing a mask and being a little considerate. And now it's bigger and worse than it ever should have been. You're complaining mask mandates don't work? You didn't follow the mandate, you dumb fuck. You think the guidelines set in place are too radical and unrealistic? They have to be radical because you fucked around and found out, motherfucker. It's the same with the environment. First off, I don't think any environmental laws or regulations or guidelines that are actually in place around the world are too radical. Provided, of course, you don't make a living leaking petroleum into the water or gassing protesters about a dangerous and unethical pipeline or causing earthquakes to get some of that sweet, sweet natural gas. But even if modern environmental laws are too radical, let's assume for the sake of argument that's the case. If they are radical, why are they radical? Why do we now need to make the rush for renewable energy, cut down hard on emissions, hope for 14-year-old geniuses to clean up the Great Pacific garbage patch with giant robots? Because we didn't do anything for a long time. We polluted like crazy because it was cheap and easy. Companies invented the concept of littering instead of developing less intensely wasteful ways of consuming their soda and candy. Petrol companies killed the electric car in between the world wars because they saw it was the future and they wanted another century of profits. We're being judged for tackling problems that we didn't make and are trying to fix. We're trying to find ways to quickly and effectively not make the world suck for everyone else. When I was a kid and I first learned about non-renewable resources, I asked my dad what will happen to Exxon and Sitgo and all the other gas stations. He hated Sitgo because they got their gas from Venezuela, apparently, and God forbid you buy gas from the one country in the Western Hemisphere where the U.S. couldn't install a puppet dictatorship. My dad said those companies will figure something out when the oil runs dry. That's it. When it gets bad, they'll find something else. Well, what about the environment? Eh, he'll be dead before it gets too bad. But I won't be. My kids won't be. Well, not my kids. I got a vasectomy the day before my 28th birthday. My bloodline dies with me. But others' kids will. Do you really show so little concern about the well-being of your children, or grandchildren, or nieces, or nephews, or just random people around the world, that you pass the buck to them and hope to peace out before the earth becomes an inhospitable hellhole? And then you get mad when your children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and random people all around the world try and take action to stop the earth from becoming an inhospitable hellhole? This is like when I was a little kid, and I got a limited edition Game Boy Color with Pikachu on it, and I got Pokemon Yellow along with it. Not a sponsor. Yet? 
And I played it a lot, because it was the 90s, and I was six, and it was the coolest thing ever. And then my parents got mad at me for playing video games too much. You bought this for me. You made this possible. You didn't want me to play outside or pick me up after school sports and instead were content to let me chill in my room playing Pokemon Yellow on my limited edition Game Boy Color and just call me fat and lazy. You don't get to blame us when you give us no alternative. You did shit about the environment, now we have to pick up your slack. You did shit about right-wing ultra-conservatism, now you're questioning if it's okay for us to punch Nazis. You destroyed a generation's hopes at financial stability, then called us entitled for wanting money from a government that values aircraft carriers over its own citizens. You fucked up, previous generations, and now things are getting very, very bad, very, very fast. We don't have time to pass it on to future generations. We don't have the sociopathy to rest easy knowing we'll be dead before it gets really bad. We're trying to fix things now. We're trying to get fit now, get well now, get safe now, get considerate and helpful and empathetic now. Because you didn't. And you let things go to shit. And we have no time left. It's now or never. Do or die. The moment of truth. Es geht um die Wurst. Well, I could go on forever, but if I don't stop now, I'll never stop. So, es geht um die Wurst. Special thanks to PoFan for helping us compose our theme music. We'll get back to our regular episodes soon. In the meantime, thanks for being German with me. Check us out on Twitter at NotThatGerman or our NotThatFanClub Facebook page for updates to try and answer our hints, or maybe just to see cool stuff. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and spread the word. And we'll see you next time. Tschüss! Schumann, Schumann.